the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. I'll tell you, Dave, I've been over this stuff a bunch of times. It just doesn't add up. Who does these books? I mean, if I ran my business this way, I'd, I'd be out of business. So what can we do? You know, I see a lot of places you could say, but, you know, I can't make those choices. I mean, I'm not the president. I mean, you know, I mean, I'm not, I'm not uh, the one, you know, pretending to be the president. I understand. Let me give it a try. A couple things I'd like to go over in the budget. Uh, now, uh, the way I see it, we need $650 million. Now, some of this can be done, uh, it seems to me, through some simple changes in our cash management. Uh, for example, uh, according to the OMB, we've got uh, 17 defense contractors who are delinquent in their contracts. Uh, is this true, Frank? Uh, I believe so, yes. So even though they're late, we keep paying them on time? Well, in a sense, yeah. Okay. Now, instead of giving them money for something they haven't finished, we could hold back that cash, stick it in even an ordinary savings account. We'd be making $23 million a month in interest. Well, technically that's true, but... Uh, oh. Well, I suppose it's true. Okay. Okay. Okay, so that's $23 million times 12 months okay good the commerce department yes mr president uh you're spending 47 million dollars on an ad campaign to boost consumer confidence in the american auto industry yes sir uh well you see it's designed to bolster individual uh confidence in a previous domestic automotive purchase so we're spending 47 million dollars so that Somebody can feel better about a car that they've already bought? Yes, sir, but I wouldn't characterize that way. No, no, I'm sure that's important, but I don't want to tell some eight-year-old kid that he's got to sleep in the street because we want people to feel better about their car. Hi, everybody. This is Ed Hoffman, and welcome to the main event. Open up with that clip from a movie, Dave. I've used that many times in the past for those of you uh, that have been listening for a while, because it's about Dave playing the uh, the trying to sit in as being the president when the president who looks just like him uh, has a stroke and they don't want anybody to know. And uh, Dave and his uh, his his CPA are trying to make sense of the uh, of the federal budget, and that's kind of what Trump is doing right now. And uh, and his uh, uh, OMB uh, secretary, uh, Office of Management and Budget secretary, and uh, who is Mick Mulvaney, and uh, we're going to talk about a lot about everything that went on this week because there's a lot of stuff that went on this week, and I'm going to try and break it down to you to make it kind of simple and make it kind of uh, understandable so everybody understands what's going on because uh, you know what it's like uh, balancing your checkbook. It's not that hard, folks. You know, money comes in, money goes out. If you don't have enough money to people, people, you know, I do loans. So, uh, we have to discuss with people on their, on their, uh, bank statements. Hey, you know, you've got, you know, on these two months of bank statements, you got like $600 worth of insufficient funds fees. Oh, my bank made a mistake. 
Yeah, my bank makes that same mistake every time I don't put money in it, but I keep writing checks. So, uh, I don't know. I don't know. It's just uh, trying to make people see clear as to how the world works. But first, let me introduce myself. My name is Ed Hoffman, president of Wholesale Capital Corporation, your direct mortgage lender. We're based here in Southern California, offices all over the area. If you're interested in getting involved in any of the fantastic opportunities that are real estate, and there are some fantastic opportunities out there. Uh, if you need financing, call me toll-free at 855-640-2020. That's 855-640-2020. Day or night, toll-free, area code 855-640-2020. If you want to get in touch with me but you don't want to talk on the phone because you're at work and you're stealing time from your boss, wait for your government-mandated 15-minute break or your government-mandated lunch break or wait till you're off and uh, go on to... Uh, WCCLoans.com. That's www.wccloans.com. And uh, you'll find all kinds of mortgage information. But if you want to get some information right away, click on the Loan Center. Click on Apply Now. And uh, put in as much information as you want me to have and tell me how much information you want back. If you'd like to email me first, click on the contact page and fill out the form. It goes directly to me and my team. And you'll hear back from me or one of my... Uh, trusty uh trusty sidekicks and we will get you all taken care of uh if there's part of the show you want repeated go to edhoffman.net e-d-h-o-f-f-m-a-n.net you amazing how many different ways there are to spell ed but people mess it up edhoffman.net click on the uh, podcast page to listen on, to it on demand anytime you can get this week's show as well as several past weeks uh, you can also get uh, the uh, main event podcast on SoundCloud or iTunes. On iTunes, you can actually subscribe for free. It'll pop up. It'll download to your your phone or your computer or whatever device you listen to podcasts on once a week. Um, be sure to connect with the show on social media. Follow me on Twitter at Ed Hoffman, where I tweet about current events all week long. Like the show on Facebook, facebook.com slash the main event Ed Hoffman. And don't forget about the main event listener hotline where you can leave me a voicemail. Tell me what you think of the show. Leave me a message at 855-640-2092. 855-640-2092. Now, that's the listener hotline. That's not to get in touch with me. If you, this, You're going to get a, a recorded message, and you're going to have opportunity to leave a recorded message. And uh, I just might play your message on the show. I want to hear what your opinion is. As I always say, everyone has a right to their opinion, and I think everybody has a right to my opinion. Uh, now I want to hear yours. So uh, let's talk about let's talk about this one point one billion dollars spending bill to fund the government. It was a busy news week, starting with the Congress's vote to approve the roughly one point one trillion. I'm sorry, one point one trillion dollars spending bill. Uh, ahead of the deadline to keep the government open through September. The measure passed the House on Wednesday in the 309 to 118 vote, uh, which we really had some bipartisan support because, uh, for reasons I'll tell you more on, but, uh, you know, Congress people want to get their paychecks. And uh, Thursday afternoon, it passed the Senate, 79 to 18, and it was on its way to the president's desk. Uh, as of the time of recording, he hasn't signed it yet, so I can't say he already signed it. But let's hear, let's hear from someone we need to see more of Mick Mulvaney, director of the Office of Budget Management. I'm sorry, the Office of Management and Budget, who spoke at the White House press briefing on Tuesday to address the bill. First, he explained why Republicans reached so far across the aisle to make this thing work. A lot of folks have asked us over the course of the last 24, 48 hours, with Republicans in charge of the House and the Senate and the White House, why do we need a bipartisan spending bill? And one of the things I think is not being discussed uh, as openly as it should 
is that this is one of those bills that requires 60 votes in the Senate. So it's not like the health care bill. We have to have at least eight Democrats support this in the Senate, which is why we've been working with Democrats from the very beginning. Yes, we could have passed a Republican bill only out of the House, but it never would have passed out of the Senate, and then we would have been accused of not being able to function and run the government. So there's a very good reason that we're working with Democrats on a bipartisan bill, and that is because we must. And uh, you know what? I like uh, I like the all the comments that uh, Mick Mulvaney makes because he's obviously not talking on a teleprompter. He understands finance, and he's just answering everything straightforward. Um, let's hear the highlights of what each side got on this deal. Here's what the Republicans got. $21 billion for additional defense spending comprised of $15, $15 billion in overseas contingency operation money, which, if you remember, that's that's what the government, per the Obama administration, calls war. Overseas contingency operation money, so $15 billion for, to, to start wars or to finish wars, and uh, $6 billion for the underlying Department of Defense Appropriations Fund. Um, $1.5 billion in additional Department of Homeland Security for border security. Uh, and that's part of that's the wall. Um, $1.3 billion to extend health, health benefits to more than 22,000 retired, retired coal miners and their families. The miners were threatened with the loss of the benefits after the industry bankruptcies. Um, and again, and again, the, uh, the, the Van Jones, uh, uh, video that was that's been out there on the on the internet about Trump doesn't care about coal miners he's going to cut off all their insurance cuz he's getting rid of Obamacare uh well let's see let me go back to the go back to this 1.3 billion to extend health benefits to more than 22,000 retired coal miners and their families well i guess that just trumps him we trumped Van Jones uh, forty-five million for school choice in Washington D.C. Reauthorizing the D.C. Opportunity Scholarship Fund. Remember, that's the program that helped low-income students, mostly African Americans, attend private schools in Washington D.C. And it was the first federal program Barack Obama cut when he got into office. Let me see. We elected a black president. All the black people voted for him because he was black. And I know that some of you black people out there are going to say, "Hey, that's not fair." Well. Some of you guys came out and said I only voted for him because he's black, and uh, so sorry, you guys. Uh, you guys said it was, and uh, and what did he do? The first thing he uh, he he uh, canceled the program right there that was benefiting black people in Washington D.C. I don't know, it just doesn't seem like uh, he was looking out for the black people, but de- and it's kind of, and it's kind of uh, and it's kind of par for the course because. Uh, Democrats, the black people always think that the Democrats are all looking out for them because that's what they, that's what they, that's what they tout. Hey, you know, we're, we're looking out for the minorities. Republicans are only out there for rich people. When all the way back to Abraham Lincoln, it's always been the Republicans that have been in favor of making things fair for blacks and all minorities, in in fact, and not discriminating. Uh, But you know what? People believe what they hear. And they and they cast their vote. So, uh, but the Democrats got more than enough of their demands, including uh, an additional four hundred million for foreign aid and State Department diplomacy. Additional four hundred million for foreign aid and State Department diplomacy, because you know what, we should be doing diplomacy instead of dropping bombs, because that's worked so well. Works so well. So four hundred million gave gave them that. Okay, almost seven billion dollars for humanitarian and refugee programs. Oh, that's good. 
100 million to counter Russian influence in Europe and South and Central Asia. 100 million to counter Russian influence in Europe and South and Central Asia. Okay, don't know what that is, but it's 100 million. I know what that is. Uh, 296 million to help government of Puerto Rico with Medicaid financing to ease its budget emergency, which was the demand of Nancy Pelosi. Keep in mind that keep in mind though that there's no additional money for Puerto Rico. This was already in the budget, so we already had it in the budget to uh, for 296 million. So we left it in there. It wasn't really there wasn't anything that uh, that we agreed to add to it. Um, and we all know that Puerto Rico filed bankruptcy this week. So um, I think they want to be our 51st president, our 50, 51st president, our 51st state, um, so that we can take care of them all the time. Uh, the plan does follow through with the administration's pledge to cancel climate change funding. Another win for the Republicans. Funding for the UN agencies was cut by a whopping $640 million. So if you've been to, if you've been to, uh, to New York City and you see the UN building, and I don't know, it's about uh, 50 or 60 stories high, and that's where all the uh, people from the foreign, uh, foreign countries come in, and we, we uh, support all that stuff, and they do nothing but... Uh, basically ride on our ride on ride the the gravy train and they don't enforce anything in the world except unless we do it um so that's that's how that divide up now that that might sound like the democrats got more of the sweeter end of the deal as usual but here's how mick mulvaney responds to that what they really didn't get is this and this is what they wanted they wanted a shutdown we know that They were desperate to make this administration look like we couldn't function, like we couldn't govern. And we know that a large part of their base, especially their left-wing base, wanted a shutdown and certainly didn't want them to cut a deal with us. That's why I think you're seeing them crowing about their success, is in order to cover up the fact that they actually cut a deal with President Trump, and President Trump did a tremendous job. Those of you who were here in March and saw me un, uh, uh, introduce our, our first version of our budget blueprint saw me talk about the president's priorities. What were they? Defense, border security, school choice. The president delivered on his promises and got his priorities funded, and that's what the Democrats don't want you to know. They want you to think they won. What they don't want you to know is the American people won here because the president simply out-negotiated them. I like this guy. He tells it like it is. He doesn't... He doesn't uh make it sound too complicated. You know, that's uh, being in the financial industry myself. That's one of the things that, that uh, I've found has made me successful is I try to make things understandable and you don't have to have a, a finance degree to understand how a mortgage works. And you don't have to have a finance degree to understand how a reverse mortgage works. And you don't have to have a finance degree to understand how to invest in real estate and to make smart investments. You just need to have a calculator and just understand how some basic things work. So, uh, so Mick Mulvaney laid it out and, uh, and basically the Democrats just wanted to shut it down. Is the the big thing? Is it a big thing when the the government shuts down? Well, it is if it's the if it's on the president's one hundredth day, and if the you know if, or the hundredth day or the hundred and seventh day, whatever whatever it is that if uh, if uh, on the one hundredth day, while well, everybody's looking at, hey, you know what? What did uh, Trump accomplish? He didn't get anything through. He didn't get the Affordable Care Act or the uh, not the Affordable Care Act, the American Health Care Act. Uh, passed the first round, which was under the hundred hundredth day, and they're and they're trying to make Trump and his administration look incompetent when no one else could have done that much. And it's probably been the most, uh, the most uh, what's the word I'm looking for, um, productive hundred days of any of any uh, presidential administration because all they do is work. 
Oh, but look at what, look at how much he's spending going down to Mar-a-Lago and look how much he's spending here. Look how much he's spending there. He's working. Whether he's working from the White House or he's working from Mar-a-Lago, he's working all the time. And I don't remember the Democrats saying one little thing about how much, how much money the, how much money Obamas were spending going on vacation, flying to, uh, flying across the country to make a speech and then fly home. I don't know. How productive is that? So anyway, so anyway, I like this guy. One of the biggest criticisms of the bill is that it does not explicitly set funds for the border wall. Uh, Mick Mulvaney addressed that too, and listen to what he says about Obama's role in all this. Uh, you've heard me talk a lot over the course of the last couple of weeks. I've been on television a couple of times saying, oh, there's no bricks and mortar, there's no bricks and mortar, and there's no bricks and mortar for a wall in this. We can build this, okay? And we're going to build this. There are several hundreds of millions of dollars for us to replace cyclone fencing with 20-foot-high steel wall. We had an opportunity to move quicker than we expected, okay? Because President Obama was not able to sign a full-term CR in October of last year, we actually got a bite at the 2017 Apple. Think about that for a second. If President Obama had been able to pass a 12-month CR in October of 2016, we wouldn't even be here because all of this would have been dealt with and none of this would have been available, by the way. None of the additional spending for, for, for defense, the additional money for school choice, for the border, none of that would have been there because the President Obama never would have signed that. We got an unexpected second bite at the 2017 apple, and we were happy to get it in order to start things moving quicker. I've said before, my job is to, is to spend the money. We're already working on ways to try and get Mexico to pay for it, but that's not my concern right now. I'm trying to get this thing built. So, so you under, understand. Um, Trump shouldn't have had opportunity to do anything with the budget. Had had Obama uh, got a a twelve month continuing continuing revolution uh, resolution to spend money, so uh, so six months ago or whenever it was, sometime about six months ago, when uh, we hit the debt ceiling, it's hey we're out of money, we shut down or or we have to pass a continuing resolution to keep us funded for the next year. So they they uh, kept it. They got a continuing resolution to go six months, and now that now it was we're done spending. We're done spending unless we get something. So that was opportunity that the Trump administration had to, as he said, take a second bite at the 2017 Apple. They shouldn't have had an opportunity to do anything until they do their budget at the end of the fiscal year, which is September for October. I believe it's October 1st. I don't think it's October 31st. I think it's October 1st because uh, the end of the first nine months. So they start October 1st and goes through September 30th. So that's when that's when the Trump the Trump administration will do their first yearly budget. But because of this continu- continuing resolution, Obama didn't set himself up so that uh so the his last budget. I know I don't even know how many budgets he passed. In 8 years what did he pass one? I don't know. Anyway, I'm not going to make anybody look that up. But uh but that but that's what happened there. And if you could see the video on this, if you didn't if you didn't, he's showing pictures of a of a steel wall. There's a big chain link chain link fence. There and then it says, and he's he's pointing to it. Said this isn't secure. This one is, and it's a big tall steel, big steel steel uh, bars, and it's twenty feet high, and it's big, got big steel frame around it, and uh, and you could see through it, but it's made out of steel. And he said, in some portions of of the southern border, that makes more sense than a wall. Uh, 
and and they're talking about there's some places that a wall is not going to make any sense. Well, there's some places that it won't, and they'll and they'll put this this kind of steel fence through there. And he said, in for in some areas, it's it's better because the border agents can see through it, so they can see what's coming across. But it's not anything that you're gonna that you're gonna cut with a uh, with bolt cutters or uh, or run your car into and and knock it over. So. Um, so uh, Mulvaney was asked by the reporters about a tweet that the president sent earlier this week. The tweet said, either elect more Republican senators in 2018 or change the rules now to 51%. Our country needs a good shutdown in September to fix this mess. So what did the president mean by a good shutdown? And does, Mul- does Mulvaney agree? Here's what he had to say. If we get to September and it's still business as usual, business as usual, business as usual, nothing changes and it takes a shutdown to change it, I have no problem with that. I think a good shutdown, if there is such a thing, again, a shutdown is not, and I've said this before to you folks, I said it during my confirmation, it's not a goal, okay, and it's not a negotiating tool. The president advocated But to the extent the president advocated for one today, if you, if you wanted to imagine what a good shutdown was, it would be one that fixes this town. So what would the president That one that drives the message back home to people that it really was as broken as they thought that it was when they voted for, for Donald Trump and they would trust him to, that's what it's necessary to do to fix washington dc that would be a good so shutdown yes see and when he's talking about fix this town it's it's more important to fix what's what's going on permanently as to how things work so for this for this extra bite at the apple get what we want but don't don't create too much too much tension let's let's be a little bit more uh let's let let this first deal go through and get some wins and and pave some way that the the Democrats can have can save a little face. But what the Democrats do? They went out and said, "We won, we won, we stopped the wall." What they didn't see is that there was already money in the budget for that steel fence, and they can do a lot of lot of stuff with that with that money while they're planning the rest of it. Um, see, and and if you remember, uh, one of the things that that people were concerned about with Trump was and I can and I can remember when Joey Jones was on here a few times with me and he's in in the early part of the primaries he was talking about how he supported Jeb Bush because he didn't want someone who's going to be so divisive that um the Democrats would spend uh the next 4 years or the next 8 years doing just what we did uh during the Obama administration and just hey we don't agree with the way this guy is we're going to try and block everything he does and uh and he felt that Jeb Bush would be more uh diplomatic with our with the other side than than Trump but that hasn't that hasn't proven to be the case so uh so so uh Donald Trump does know how does know how to how to negotiate and uh he's he's uh he's he's fighting the fights that need fighting and he's standing firm where he needs to stand firm and for other stuff he'll be flexible so uh, that takes us over to health care. Revised version of the American Health Care Act, otherwise known as Obamacare replacement bill, passed the House on Thursday, 217 to 213. 217 plus 213 equals 430. Means five people didn't vote. Five people, and uh, from what I understand, it was uh, one Republican and three uh, Democrats. Uh, or is that... One re, one re, one Republican and four Democrats, or two Republicans and three Democrats, doesn't really may, uh, matter. But five people abstained from voting because they don't want to take a position. There, I think that's what Obama did most of the time that he was in. Uh, he was in uh, the the senator from Illinois. Uh, what? But what is this? Here's what the bill does: ends Obamacare tax penalties for people who don't buy insurance coverage, and larger and larger employers who don't offer coverage. Instead, insurers would apply a thirty percent 
uh, surcharge to customers who let their coverage lapse for more than 63 days in the past year. Oh, my God, 30% surcharge. Hey, you know what? Guess what? If you go without uh, auto insurance, if you let your auto insurance lapse, you get a surcharge from the from the new company. If you let your health care uh, lapse, you get a surcharge from the new company. It's always been that way. So, hey, you know what? If you can penalize some people, you don't have to penalize all the people. Some people don't have insurance because they don't want it. You know, young kids, 23 years old, going to college, they don't need, you know, what am I, you know, they're, they're young, they're healthy, and they don't think they're ever going to need that stuff. So penalize them, penalize them when they get to that point where they want insurance. And if their insurance policy is, you know, they may never need to buy it because they may never get it until they get into a group. And what people don't realize is these college kids that need to be on their president, their their parents' policies. Guess what? The university uh, puts them in a, in a group and they offer group health insurance for the university students. Duh. You don't need to be on your parents' thing. So uh, so ends, ends, those, uh, ends those penalties. Ends tax increases on high-income earners. Ends tax increases on insurers, drug makers, and medical device manufacturers. Just so you know, if uh, I've went went over those years ago on the show, where I say, here's the little things that they hid in uh, Obamacare. All these little taxes. They even put a tax on uh, tax on selling one of your houses. You sell your house, you got to pay a three point eight percent tax on on your on in addition to the capital gains tax. So uh, so so got rid of a bunch of those tax uh, increases. Uh, changes changes to Medicaid, cuts Medicaid by 25% over 10 years, allows state to impose work requirements for Medicaid recipients and forbids states from expanding Medicaid. Also changes Medicaid from an open-ended program. You know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read this paragraph again at the, at the beginning of the next, next uh, half because I'm all out of time, so don't go away. I'm out of time for part one of the main event. Stay tuned for five minutes of uh, commercials, commercials, traffic, and weather, and we'll be right back with part two. And welcome back to part two of the main event. My name is Ed Hoffman, president of Wholesale Capital Corporation, your local direct mortgage lender. I don't talk a lot about real estate and financing, but if you need to finance some real estate, whether you need to refinance, whether you want to buy a house, buy a a house to live in, a vacation home, an investment property, uh, if you need to get a reverse mortgage, if uh, if you're a senior, if you, hey, what's up with that reverse mortgage thing? Is that a good thing or a bad thing? If you want to get some information on it and you want to talk to somebody who uh, thinks like you, call me toll free at 855-640-2020. 855-640-2020. The reason I don't talk, talk, go into more detail more often on the, on it's because it's boring if you're not in the market, but if you're in the market, call me. So, uh, and then also uh, don't forget my listener hotline, 855-640-2092. If you have an opinion on anything I say today, uh, good or bad, go ahead and call and leave me the message. I might play it on the radio. So we've been talking about, uh, what's going on this week and, uh, the healthcare, the American healthcare act, the, uh, Obama replacement bill that passed on, uh, Thursday, on Thursday, um, we're going over some of the things that were in it, and uh, I ended starting with the changes to Medicaid. Uh, it cuts Medicaid by 25% over 10 years, allows states to impose work requirements for Medicaid recipients, and forbids states from expanding Medicaid. Okay, so it allows states to impose work requirements. So, hey, if you're getting free uh, health care through the state through the Medicaid uh, through the Medicaid program, uh, you have to do some community service. 
I wouldn't worry about it if you're in Cal- if you're in California because in California we don't vote for anybody to do anything but collect. So uh you want some free money? Sure, here it is. We'll tax the rich people some more. Let's just jack it up from 13.3% up to uh 15%. We'll pay for it that way. Those uh those damn those damn rich people that don't ever do anything for us except for provide jobs and you know, pay taxes and stuff. Uh, it overhauls the insurance subsidy system from an income-based tax credit to a tax credit base. So, um, so they'll give you instead of giving you a, a straight uh, subsidy, they'll give you tax credits. The credits would rise with the customer's age, and uh, like the previous subsidies, could be used towards your premium cost. All right, to so save money on your taxes, it's not a directly to the uh, to the premiums. Implements a new system that allows state waivers to exempt insurers from covering certain conditions. Implements a new system that allows state waivers to exempt insurers from covering certain conditions, but only if they have high-risk pools to cover people with pre-existing conditions. A provision added this week that would give another eight. So what they did is they added they're they're giving from the federal government eight billion dollars over five years to help states finance these high-risk pools. So let me give you an example. Um, and I've said this a million times. You can't you can't get rid of the pre-existing condition and still call it insurance. Because otherwise, you know, you buy insurance, hey, just in case, I want to ensure that I'm covered if if I get in a car accident, that's why you get in the car insurance. I want to get a, I want to, just in case I die, I want to make sure that my family's taken care of and our house is paid off and there's money for the kids to go to college and my wife will be okay. So that's why you buy life insurance and you can't have a pre-existing condition on those things. Cause Hey, my husband just died. I need to get some life insurance on him. So you can pay me some money that doesn't work that way. Cause you're, 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 you're betting with the insurance company. I bet you I'm going to die. They say, we bet you won't. I'll bet your $50 a month against my 500,000. And then you spend the rest of your life trying to lose that bet. Okay. Health insurance is no different. They have to collect, Hey, I bet you I'm going to get sick and I'm going to need some coverage. And the health insurance says most people won't, most people won't get tragically sick. So you got to collect a bunch of premiums from a lot of people and the people that collect on it, there's got to be some kind of profit in there. If you don't have pre-existing condition, uh, issue there, uh, pre-existing condition, uh, uh, waivers, if you can't, if you can get insurance, no matter what, then why buy health insurance until you get sick? Sorry, folks, this is how the world works. If some Democrats uh, snuck in and tried to listen to this and it doesn't make sense to them, this is how it works. So the federal government is, instead of instead of what Obama did, he, he screwed up our whole system. There was 30 million people that didn't have health insurance. Some of them because they couldn't get it and some of them because they didn't want it. So instead, they, they instead of doing something for those people that couldn't get it, setting aside a fund that would take care of those people... Um, and I, and I'm happy to pay a little bit of taxes to, to make that fund go. And I'm sure everybody is, but leave me my health insurance plan. Let me deal with my doctor. Let me deal with the insurance company. Let the insurance companies compete to get the best, to uh, give us the best products and let the free market have it. And for those few people that 10, let's say it's 10% of the people didn't have insurance. Let's say half of them couldn't get it. Let's put that one little fund aside to take care of those people and not screw up the whole system for everybody. And that's what they did. So speak, uh, so uh, uh, insurance companies cannot deny coverage based on pre-existing conditions. 
uh, said Spe- Speaker Ryan. This is uh, important because people were going crazy all this week about the Dems talking about pre-existing conditions. But you know what? If anybody understands how the world works, if anybody understands how insurance works, they wouldn't get their, their knickers in a twist over this. And they say, hey, this is not how the free world works. If you went to the conservative conference last week um, at a, at a, out here in Riverside, um, you heard Hugh Hewitt talk about, hey, you know, we screwed up. You know, the, the Freedom Caucus is, it was really a big problem, and they screwed up because we didn't get the American Health Care Act uh, fund, uh, voted in the first time. And we shouldn't hold out. You know, we, if we can get 75% of what we want, we should be okay with that just so that we can, uh, so that we can get some wins and so we can say, hey, look, we won. Uh, Larry Elder on the other side at a few minutes later says, Hey, you know what? The government doesn't need to be in our business. He, they, you know, just, we don't need that. The government doesn't need to control every, every move in our life, every, every industry, everything that we do, let the free market take care of it. And, uh, that's essentially what we did. Hey, we want to take care of people that the free market isn't serving, but we don't need to, we don't need to do that. If you, if you live in the foothills of, uh, of uh, San Bernardino Mountains. If you live in the foothills of Pasadena, uh, Altadena up there where the where there's a high high uh, fire danger, I think even in Ventura County there's a lot of places, then you can't get insurance because it's high risk for fire. And we have something in California called California Fair Plan. And where your same size house down the street or down the hill not so close to the fire danger might cost you uh, $500 or $600 a year, Fair plan is probably eight or nine hundred dollars a year, and California Fair Plan, uh, you get assigned to that. They assign you to an insurance company, and the insurance companies all agree, "Hey, I'm going to take up my portion of these people," and they're going to they're going to get a higher premium, and that's that's how it works. They have the same thing with auto insurance. If you got a bunch, if you've got a bunch of uh, of tickets and you uh, drunk driving, and well, you probably if you got a bunch of tickets and drunk driving, you probably don't have a driver's license. And you're gonna have a hard time getting insurance. But if you know if you're 16, you got a few or a few tickets, and you know you can't get insurance, or you can't, or for whatever reason you can't get insurance that nobody wants you because you're too high of a risk. It's illegal to drive without without insurance. So what are they gonna do? They have the what they call the assigned risk program. The same thing as California Fair Plan. You go to the, one of those higher higher premiums and you get insurance, and the insurance companies divvy them up. That's how it works. The president invited Republicans. Um, oh, I'm sorry. One, one other thing on this. One other thing on this. The, the bill also blocks federal payments to Planned Parenthood for a year. So the president invited the House Republicans to a celebration in the White House Rose Garden Thursday afternoon after the, the bill passed. Dozens of, of House Republicans standing behind him. And here's what he said. What a great group of people. And they're not even doing it for the party. They're doing it for this country because we suffered with Obamacare. Uh, as far as I'm concerned, your premiums, they're going to start to come down. We're going to get this passed through the Senate. I feel so confident. This is, make no mistake, this is a repeal and a replace of Obamacare. Make no mistake about it. Make no mistake. And I don't have the clips from uh, from Nancy Pelosi talking about what a disaster this is going to be and, and, uh, and how, hey, you know what? Obamacare is already a disaster. They just heard, I think Aetna, Aetna is pulling out of Aetna or uh, one other company is pulling out of Iowa that said, hey, we're, we're pulling out after the end of this year, which means they don't have any insurance choice for Obamacare. All the companies are backing out and the bunch of states don't have anybody anymore. 
and a bunch of states only have one. I think California has two, maybe one. I'm not sure, but the but the insurance companies are pulling out and they're jacking up their prices and the prices have gone up crazy and it was nothing what we were promised. So uh, uh, he also had incredible praise for us. Uh, Trump also had incredible praise for for uh, Speaker Paul Ryan and the House Republicans. I want to thank uh, Paul Ryan. He has worked so hard. And I was joking. I said, you know, Paul, for the last week I've been hearing Paul Ryan doesn't have it. It's not working with Paul Ryan. He's going to get rid of Paul Ryan. Then today I heard Paul Ryan's a genius. He's come along. (laughs) The groups have all come together. We have the Tuesday group. We have so many groups. We have the Freedom Caucus. We have, and they're all great people. But we have a lot of groups. But they all came together. Really, Paul, I'd say in the last three, four days, especially in the last day, Uh, We just have developed a bond. This has really brought the Republican Party together. As much as we've come up with a really incredible health care plan, this has brought the Republican Party together. Yep. And uh, so, you know, in in reality is they passed the House. Now it has to go to the Senate. When it goes to the Senate, they're not going to they're not going to prove it as is. They're going to want to make changes. And uh, so they're going to they're going to make some changes and and alter it a little bit. And then it's going to go back to the to reconcile with the House again. And it's going to be back and forth for for a little while before it gets to a bill that makes sense for everyone. And everyone will have a chance to uh, to uh, hear about all the details before they actually vote. And then when they finally come to something that that makes sense, that uh, solves everybody's problems, uh, alleviates everyone's concerns, then it'll go to uh, President Trump and he'll sign it and uh We'll get on with our lives, and if uh, for those of you that think health uh, that the Obamacare was good, have obviously not had to have any health care. I will say, uh, doctors are out there saying that, uh, even doctors at Loma Linda University Medical Center are saying that uh, everybody have been saying that uh, Obamacare has been the worst thing to happen to the medical medical profession. So uh, we'll we'll keep you up to date as that thing unfolds. So meanwhile, uh, while the Republicans are enjoying multiple victories. Hillary Clinton is still out there blaming everyone she can think of for losing the election. Can't get past it. Early this week at an event called Women for Women International, Hillary told Christian Amanpour about her most recent theory on the election. It was the fault of WikiLeaks and FBI Director James Comey. It wasn't a perfect campaign. There is no such thing. Um, But I was on the way to winning until the combination of Jim Comey's letter on October 28th and Russian WikiLeaks raised doubts in the minds of people who were inclined to vote for me but got scared off. If the election been on October 27th, I'd be your president. Yeah, if the election was was October 27th, I'd be your president. You know what, if I, uh, if, uh, (laughs) I'll think of something. Anyway, it it raised doubts about, it raised doubts about, in everybody's mind, when they found out the truth about me. I don't know. Uh, that must be somebody else's fault. Well, no one's ever argued about the stuff that came out. No one's ever argued about the stuff that WikiLeaks put out. And, uh, and as for the, uh, as for the uh, James Comey, we'll talk about that in a minute. But first, here's a response from Speaker uh, Newt Gingrich about uh, Hillary's theory. The number one problem of the Hillary Clinton campaign was Hillary Clinton. Uh, and uh, in the end, she couldn't win a race that they all thought was going to be easy. Now, the number two problem, let's be clear, 
was Donald J. Trump, who turned out to be an amazingly better candidate than any Democrat thought he could be, and who understood that if he really did the, his best in western Pennsylvania, in Ohio, in northern Michigan, and in Wisconsin, that he was going to be president. Yeah, and if you were at the at the conservative conference last week, you heard Dennis Prager say, uh, you know, he said, Dennis said, hey, you know what, he was number, he was my number 17th choice of all the people, all the guys running in the primaries. And he goes, I'm genuinely falling in love with this guy now. He said that, uh, you know, I can tell you now, based on what I, what I saw, I don't think any of the other 16, 16 candidates had a chance to beat Hillary because they wouldn't, they wouldn't have fought as hard as Trump did. And, uh, Quite frankly, it's uh, it's good to, good to see what's going on. Uh, this is the kind of response this is the kind of response you'd expect from Newt. But uh, but guess what? People in Hillary's own party are saying exactly the same thing. Here's Obama's former senior advisor, David the Mustache Axelrod. Jim Comey didn't tell her not to campaign in Wisconsin after the convention. Jim Comey didn't say, don't put any resources into Michigan until the final week uh, of the campaign. And, and one of the things that hindered her in the campaign was a sense that she never fully was willing to take responsibility. No, she wasn't fully uh, able to take responsibility. Uh, here's, a, here's another liberal NBC's Andrea Mitchell. It was not a perfect campaign, but no mention of her failure to go to Wisconsin to campaign earlier in Michigan, connect with Rust Belt voters in Pennsylvania, all blue states that went for Donald Trump, or why the first female nominee could not win a majority of white college-educated women. And, uh, you know, for those of you who don't, don't, don't uh, remember this, remember, uh, you know, what some of the things that that uh, might have scared people away are little acts on, on tape like this from Hillary. Now, having said all this, why aren't I 50 points ahead, you might ask? Well, the choice for working families has never been clearer. I need your help to get Donald Trump's record out to everybody. Nobody should be fooled. Nope, nobody should be fooled. And uh, what do we see the, uh, the unemployment rate drop to 4.4 this week? And uh, 211,000 new jobs. And uh, some guy from Australia said he's uh, he's investing uh, $2 billion to uh, create jobs in the United States. Just uh, another 2,000 this week. Um, another big commitment from a big, big uh, rich guy in uh, Australia. I don't know. It just seems like the, uh, the, the uh, environment in the economy just seems to be getting more positive. I just don't see that would have happened with Hillary Clinton uh, because everybody would be running to hide their money because she was going after the rich people. And speaking of James Comey, uh, he testified at the Senate Judiciary Committee, uh, Committee Oversight hearing on Wednesday, delivering his first public explanation for his actions in the FBI investigation that of Hillary's emails last the last year. Uh, you know, the one she was talking about where he... Uh, came when he when we heard from him on October 28th less than 2 weeks before election day when he wrote the letter to the several house chairmen to reveal the existence of emails that appear to be pertinent to the investigation this turned out to be the emails on former congress congressman Anthony Weiner's computer if you remember Anthony Weiner was being investigated for uh, uh for sexting and doing a bunch of other uh, lewd things that were going on and uh, on his computer was a bunch of stuff from Hillary Primarily because he was uh, he was married to Uma Abedin, 
Uma Wiener, and uh, and she was Hillary's assistant. So uh, regarding the accusation that he had anything to do with swaying the election, here's what Comey told the uh, committee. This was terrible. It makes me mildly nauseous to think that we might have had some impact on the election. But honestly, it wouldn't change the decision. Everybody who disagrees with me has to come back to October 28th with me and stare at this and tell me what you would do. Would you speak or would you conceal? And I could be wrong, but we honestly made a decision between those two choices that even in hindsight, and this has been one of the world's most painful experiences, I would make the same decision. Would you speak or conceal? Hmm, I don't know. You know what, maybe if uh, he hadn't come out on July 5th and uh, and laid out the whole the whole case of uh, what Hillary did and then say, well, I don't see any reason that any... any any uh, competent prosecutor would would uh, would file charges on this. It it doesn't seem like she did anything on purpose, except for start her own server. I mean, we all just kind of accidentally do that stuff sometimes. Oh, I accidentally started my own server, my own network, and did things uh, contrary to what the federal federal government says I can do as the Secretary of State. I don't know. Is that is that a crime? It doesn't seem like she meant to do it. So next we here's here's next here's how Comey defended his last minute letter to the chairman on October 28th and his subsequent confu- conclusion that the investigation could end because Uma Abedin uh, didn't commit a crime. I could see two doors and they were both actions. One was labeled speak, the other was labeled conceal. Cuz here's how I thought about it. I'm not trying to talk you into this, but I want you to know my thinking. Having repeatedly told this Congress, we are done and there's nothing there, there's no case there, there's no case there, to restart in a hugely significant way, potentially finding the emails that would reflect on her intent from the beginning and not speak about it would require an act of concealment, in my view. And so I stared at speak and conceal. Speak would be really bad. There's an election in 11 days. Lordy, that would be really bad. Concealing, in my view, would be catastrophic not just to the FBI, but well beyond. And honestly, as between really bad and catastrophic, I said to my team, we've got to walk into the world of really bad. I've got to tell Congress that we're restarting this, not in some frivolous way, in a hugely significant way. And the team also told me, we cannot finish this work before the election. And then they worked night after night after night, and they found thousands of new emails. They found classified information on Anthony Weiner, Somehow, her emails are being forwarded to Anthony Weiner, including classified information by her assistant, Huma Abedin. And so they found thousands of new emails and then called me the Saturday night before the election and said, thanks to the wizardry of our technology, we've only had to personally read 6,000. We think we can finish tomorrow morning, Sunday. And so I met with them. And they said, we found a lot of new stuff. We did not find anything that changes our view of her intent. So we're in the same place we were in July. It hasn't changed our view. And I asked them lots of questions. And I said, okay, if that's where you are, then I also have to tell Congress that we're done. And uh, I, saw, I saw a part during the, uh, during the hearings where uh, 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 Lindsey Graham was saying, hey, you know what? Isn't uh, um, Anthony Weiner, who doesn't have a security clearance, having access, having uh, classified emails on his on his computer it's not a crime uh it would be a crime for somebody who put him there or would be a crime for someone uh well how come no one's being charged with a crime the only unfortunate moment in comey's testimony 
His reason for deciding that Uma Abedin forwarding classified information to her pervert husband wasn't a crime. Was there classified information on, on former Congressman Weiner's computer? Yes. Who sent it to him? Uh, his then spouse, uh, Huma Abedin, appears to have had a regular practice of forwarding emails to him for him, I think, to print out for her so she could then deliver them to the Secretary of State. Why did you conclude neither of them committed a crime? Because with respect to uh, Ms. Abbott in particular, we, we didn't have any indication that she had a sense that what she was doing was in violation of the law. Hmm, we didn't have any indication that she had a sense of what she was doing was violating the law. I wonder if I can get away with that. You know, the, uh, the I, I operate in, in the, the single most regulated, I think, industries in the, in the country right now and the, in the mortgage industry. And uh, I wonder if they're going to let me off if I do something that's against the rules. And uh, I just say, I didn't know I was breaking the law. I didn't mean to. I was trying to do what's right by my borrowers. Because there's a whole bunch of stuff in that uh, Dodd-Frank Act that has nothing to do with doing good for our borrowers. It just makes everything more more confusing. And I have to spend half, half the time explaining, here's why we have to do things this way, because the government says we have to. But here, this form over here explains things so you can understand it. And this is how things are going to work. But here's how the government says we have to disclose it. And so we have to uh, have to do things, spend extra time to explain to people why everything's more confusing so the government makes sure that you understand things better. Hmm, how did that work? More confusing because it's supposed to be... And, you know, it's... Hey, you know what? I didn't have... They didn't have a sense that I had any idea I was breaking the law. Does anybody feel like uh, the rules are different for some people than they are others? I do. Hey, anyway, uh, we're coming up with the end of our show here. Let me remind you... Let me remind you that uh, uh, our listener hotline for the main event is 855-640-2092. 855-640-2092. If you hear anything that I say on the air and you want to make a comment about it, good or bad, call the main event listener hotline, 855-640-2092. With that, I bid you farewell. I will be uh, back with you again next week. My name's Ed Hoffman. Thanks for listening to the main event. The content in this program is not intended to be legal advice. The views expressed are those of Ed Hoffman and his invited guests and do not necessarily reflect the views or policies of Wholesale Capital Corporation. WCC is licensed by the California Bureau of Real Estate Broker License Number 01147747 and California Finance Lenders License Number 603K610. Also licensed in Arizona by the Arizona Department of Financial Institutions. MB Number 096199. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's Dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here. Here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. And I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.